Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. If you would like It's Not About Food podcasts a week earlier and ad-free, please support me on patreon.com forward slash It's Not About Food. For more information about my books, my work, and my body love cards, you can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we have a wonderful guest that wrote a wonderful book. And so I'm going to say our guest, It's Not About Food, is also going to be It's Not About Your Hair. (laughs) But we're going to talk about spirituality and how that ties in with what we're both going to talk about today. So the card is the goddess is standing She's sort of holding the sun over her head and the deer power animal is looking up at her and it's a very bright card and her feet are firmly in the earth and her arms are reaching for the heavens and the sun and, you know, there's a lot of light and dark in this card. So the back says... At the heart of every person is a yearning from the deepest part of our souls that must be heard. It is a desire to awaken, embrace our whole selves, and see past the limitations we have put on ourselves. It is the knowing that we are connected with a universal love and spiritual presence that holds the flame of our true essence of love and light. When we begin to accept that each of us was born with divine spirit, then we can stop the struggle with defining ourselves as good or bad by our body size or the food we eat. We can then move on to simply expressing our true selves. And so like that last line, we can then move on to simply expressing our true selves. Wouldn't that be a great thing in this world if everybody just got to be their true selves and everybody was okay with their true selves and we were good about expressing that true self, that we had that the courage to be ourselves and the compassion for others to be themselves. And the other part about spirituality that when Carol and I wrote the book, It's Not About Food, and then when we wrote these cards, what we really wanted to get through is that, you know, we were doing groups and workshops and talks around the country, and we wrote this book. And what we kept saying over and over is that your spirit is knocking on the door as hard as it can. Listen, listen, we're more than a dress size or like your work, more than your hair, more than your 
house or your car or your boyfriend or your money. Or, you're so much more than that. And so with that idea, it makes things a lot more simple. You know, these are our trappings or these are our extra stuff, you know, but really what we are are spirits and we're spirits trying to live a human life, <laughs> you know, it's trying to fit into this earth body. So I really want to thank everyone for listening today. And I want to introduce my guest, Margot, and she's going to talk about what she does in the world that is so great and what's happening with her. So I want to introduce Margot. Well, thank you, Laura Lee. And hello to everyone. Spirituality is such an important part of our lives. And for some people, they're here is a way to express that spirituality. So I'm going to try to talk about that a little bit. But some of the things you said earlier, you said that we have a deep desire that must be heard. Some of the women that I have interviewed for my book or that I have treated, it is clear that they had a deep desire to be heard, but it was squashed and stuffed and quieted down. So they use their hair mm-hmm. to express what was inside. <laughs> yeah. One woman that I mentioned in the book, because I tell a lot of hair stories in the book, the book is called Hair Tells a Story, um, <laughs> hers, yours, and ours. One woman talked about being suicidal and a lot of things had happened for her, tremendously painful things. And she felt like she could not go on. She had two young children and she was truly suicidal, but she didn't want to kill herself. And so what she did was she shaved her head. Wow. And that was what she needed to do. She needed to do that. There was another time earlier in her life when she was in a great deal of pain. And again, she didn't have the words for it. She didn't have anybody who was listening to her anyway, even though she had the words. So that time she dyed her hair black because she wanted to be seen for the darkness that she had inside her. And then the next time she was going through a crisis, she shaved her head. And both times it was a way of surviving. So those incidents and discussions with patients and women I interviewed for my book really have taught me a lot that hair is not just hair. It is an extension of ourselves in very major ways. For some women, hair was controlled a lot in the family. Maybe mom or grandmom or aunts all wanted her to look a certain way. So in some families, everybody had to have their hair a certain way. I know people who I knew as children who are now adults and their hair is exactly the way it was when they were kids. (laughs) And that was exactly the way their mom's hair and their aunt's hair was. So no change. For other people, changing their hair is a great way of self-expression and getting their spirit out. For the women who don't change their hair, I think the security of having the kind of hair their mom had, their grandmom had, their aunts had, has given them a spiritual foundation. It's different for each person, but hair is a pretty spiritual kind of thing. And I know that not everybody would necessarily understand that. Well, I think if you look at history, you can see that like fashion, you know, you were a good girl or a good woman if you wore this sort of thing or your hair looked this sort of way because, you know, women, men have a lot of pressure too as well. I get that so much. Of course they do. But if you look back, women couldn't own any property. They couldn't live alone. In the 70s, I couldn't have a checking account. 
my stepfather had to sign for it. (laughs) Even my mother couldn't do it. I had to have a man sign it. Yeah, we couldn't have charge cards till 1975. Yeah, and I didn't really think anything about it. I mean, I kind of was annoyed, but it was just the way it was. And it wasn't until many years later that I thought, that was not good. That wasn't okay. Because I had a job. And why couldn't I keep my own checkbook or credit card, like you're saying? So the point is, is that sometimes we are judged, obviously, by what we look like, obviously, what we look like in our body and what we look like on our face and what we look like in our hair. (laughs) It doesn't stop. And there's tremendous pressure in different cultures to go along with the trend for hair. Like in the United States and other Western cultures, we have tremendous freedom. We might have a family that has, you know, the rituals that I was talking about, or we might ethnically have some pressure or racially have some pressure to look a certain way. But we can do a lot of different things with our hair. If you were living in Iran or other conservative cultures, you would not be able to do that. We would not be having this discussion. In fact, in September of last year of 2022, Masi Amini, a 22-year-old woman, came out of the subway system in Tehran, and a few hairs were outside of her hair covering. They just had fallen out. She was arrested by the Iranian morality police, and she was beaten to death in custody. The police do not admit that they beat her to death, but she was a well person. She gets arrested by the morality police just because of a few hairs hanging out, and then she's dead within a couple of days. The good thing that happened was that a tremendous international attention was paid to that. And there is pressure on the government to be more liberal, if you will, with women, to let them express themselves more. And a lot of women have gotten rid of their head coverings and burned them and all of that. But just imagine if we were living in a culture like that, what our experience would be. Well, yeah, and it continues. They're still killing women over there every once in a while when they get together and protest and take off their hijabs. It's just such a weird thing that they pick hair. But I was born and raised Catholic. And, you know, if you were a (laughs) nun, (laughs) you had to cover from head to toe. Like the little teeny bit of their face and their hands, that's it. I mean, full on habit is what I grew up with. But the priest of the same church could wear short sleeves and regular pants and tennis shoes. This is in Texas, full black, giant black thing. Well, I live in Connecticut, which is much more progressive than Texas, but we have the same traditions up here. And their habits, their uniforms, dresses, whatever, were multi-layered and they seemed to be quite hot. (laughs) Seemed to me, yeah. Yes. A lot of heavy stuff on. <laughs> and even for us, we had to wear hats in church. Yes. And in fact, although we associate the head covering issue with Islam, that's a later entry to the covering women's heads. The Catholic Church started it in the 1400s that women had to have their hair covered. And when we were little, you had to have your hair covered to go into church. If you did not have your hair covered, if you didn't have a veil or a hat on, I remember we were allowed to put a Kleenex on our hair. That's right. We had to have our head covered, which I didn't question, just like you were saying at the time. But it is about the shame we have of women's bodies and the control we have to have of women's bodies. So we are quite lucky, actually, to be living at a time like this when 
pretty much, you know, the sky's the limit. We can do anything. In fact, think of the little girls growing up today. They are coloring their hair from the time they're eight years old or six years old. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. And if their families and stylists are using permanent colors, that's not a good thing at all. Some of the wash wash out are okay. But children's hair, it's still developing. So it's softer and more easily damaged. So I don't think that's a good thing, but it is a thing that's happening. And we're giving girls of all ages much more freedom to express themselves through their hair. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's good because it doesn't all go underground the way it can. I go into schools and talk about the issue of body hatred and eating disorders to ninth graders and not just to girls, but to boys. So even if you color your hair, my hair is purple and it's always shades of purple or pink and it is a washout color. So it goes through many different kind of looks before I do it again. And that's what I use for most people. When I was a hairdresser, I always use first, try to do no harm, organic color, organic everything, if I could. But the girls and the boys will have different color hair, or they'll have a different kind of outfit on, or they'll have different kind of shoes on. And they're very expressive. They're very creative and they're very expressive, which is great. But I do notice everybody in this school looks like this. Not everybody, but this whole group of people look like this. So we still have these cliques, is what I'm saying, is that you're not really free. If you're the person who is what we call goth, you know, then you need to look like this, and that's the only thing you can do. If you're a jock, you need to look like this. If you're, you know, it's sort of like you can't cross over. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, there's a linguist, Deborah Tannen, who's written a lot about... Uh, I know that work, yeah. You know, Deborah Tannen. And she says that hair marks women, like it tells you a lot about a woman. And I think that's absolutely true, whether it's a little girl woman or whether it's a grown-up woman, that hairdo, we will make a lot of associations and judgments around. And I recently, right after the book came out, I was having coffee with a friend. I was just saying random things about the book and random things about hair. And I said to her, people make a lot of judgments about women based on their hair. And she instantly went through a lot of judgments she's had about women and their hair. And this is a woman I know really, really well. She's a close friend. No clue that she had that much going on in her thoughts about hair. Because even though I've been writing this book for a long time and she's known about it, she never said anything like that. But it was almost, it wasn't venomous, but it was almost venomous. Yeah, it was shocking almost, huh? When you go, wow, really? We make judgments about women like they're not good mothers because their hair looks like that. Yes. And you and I are both old enough to remember all the women adults in my life, when I was growing up, all went to the beauty salon and had their hair rolled once a week, and then a comb out maybe in the middle of the week if you worked, which my mother did. So she was there twice a week for a long time. (laughs) Even up until right at the end of her life, she was still getting her hair done at the nursing home hair salon. And I was supposed to look like that too. But then at some time, I was able to grow my hair and have it really straight and long and have really long bangs, and it was okay for whatever reason. Because that was the style back then. That's right. But I think about that, my mother being so dialed in to this one way that her hair had to look, and then what she allowed, because she wasn't the most easiest person in the world to live with, but what she did allow me to have with my hair, and the only thing I can think of is that I came from a house that it it's how you looked, not who you were. 
And so that was the fashion. And so I could look like that. Yeah, no, I certainly have interviewed a lot of women for whom their families were very focused on appearance and they had to look a certain way. I had the opposite experience. My mother did go to the hairdresser, not the stylist. Back then it was hairdressers, yet had, you know, a simple hair styling. But during the summer, we had a summer cottage at a lake. She wouldn't do it then. She would just have her hair long enough to be in a ponytail. But when I was little, her hair was very simple, but she needed my hair to be simple too. So do you remember that pixie look? I do. Okay, I was the pixie. (laughs) (laughs) And so my hair was always cut really short. So one summer at the lake, my father was a dentist, so he was used to working on people's heads. He started cutting the boy's hair so that people didn't have to go down to town during the summer. Didn't have to interrupt your summer vacation. So he cut all the boy's hair and that started a tradition every summer. So a summer or two later, my mother puts me in the lineup for the haircuts and He's doing the haircut. So I was pretty much like a butch with bangs. Yes. But, you know, when I think about that, I think about the simple approach we had to hair in my family. I think about it wasn't a big deal. Nobody made fun of me because I had pretty much nothing but the bangs. Right. Uh, That was a great lesson to me. In the book, I write about it being a shortcut. It was a shortcut. And it was also a shortcut in terms of all the feminine stuff that lots of my friends were already pushed to do. A lot of girls, when they came to visit us at the lake, would not let themselves get their head wet. They would wear bathing caps or they would swim with their hair out of the water. I was always in the water and my head was always wet. So I feel like a family that allows a little bit more freedom around your hair is a great gift. And I was lucky to have it. And so many of my friends were not lucky to have it. If you would like to have a weekly newsletter that has some information about recovery, or what people are doing in the world, or what I'm doing in the world, and just information about how to recover and what to do, and how do we have faith and trust and love and openness to our own selves. You can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Storygram Network. I joined Beyond Hunger about three years ago after my own eating disorder recovery. I've been with the Peer Ed program for over a year. I have been a peer educator for a few weeks now. Beyond Hunger is an amazing organization in which high schoolers like me get to go to schools across the Bay Area and educate teens and students on mental health, body image, intuitive eating. I joined because it really helps people. I joined the program because I believe that the information we provide people my age is very important. Beyond Hunger has allowed me to connect with the youth in my community and reaffirm to myself what I know is true. It has given me an opportunity to educate others and inform others around my age. Um, And I just think it's a really wonderful program. Because I want to teach other teens what I never learned. Appreciating your body through its ups and downs, navigating diet culture, and learning about intuitive emotions and hunger. And I felt that it was super important to continue to make change in the community. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I am one of the founders of Beyond Hunger. My business partner, Carol Normandy, and I founded it in 1988. 
But for the last 25 years, we've been going into schools and talking about the issue of eating disorders and body hatred. We um, train young women to go in with us, peer to peer, student to student, and it is a wonderful program. Please give generously. Thank you. I agree with you. I have to say, again, I come from a family, two girls and a boy. So it was very important that we look a certain way. And we don't get our hair wet. We don't get our face wet because we have makeup on. I don't care if we're at the beach. (laughs) Really? My goodness. Yeah. That's very different from my upbringing. You know, I was like a nature girl. So I'm really happy about that. However, Laura Lee, this nature girl still has her hair colored. Even though this nature girl is older and there's a lot of gray underneath, it just peeks through, but there's other colors on top. So it's interesting. Like that's an important part of myself also. I don't want to be gray yet. I don't want to look that old yet, even though older. Even though your hair is going gray, I understand that completely here. I've told my clients when I was doing hair, you have a lot of your life to have short gray hair. You don't have to do it today. (laughs) It's up to you, (laughs) you know, but it's up to you, but you look fine with it. You look fine without it. You look fine with your hair short. You look fine with it long. Let's just find out what you want to do. But yeah, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And like we talked about, the men losing their hair is a whole other pressure. And I've had men sit down in my chair and say, oh, I had such a beautiful head of hair, which is what women say as well, but they say that too. And they're upset that the whole top of their head is going palled. They're upset about that. You know, a lot of people asked me if I was going to be writing about men as well. And I actually did write a chapter about men, but I feel I didn't want to spend as much time as I felt I needed to really do a good job with the men's thing. And so I decided not to finish that. But I know that men have lots of issues with their hair. As my book has been nurtured and born, a lot of my male friends have been very interested in it because they have their own issues, but also they really want to understand the women in their lives. They want to understand their sisters and their wife and their girlfriends and their mothers who have had obsessions with hair their whole lives and they haven't quite been able to understand it. Yeah. If we go back to really the idea that if we're convinced that our hair, however way it is, is not okay... Who's going to make money from that? A lot of people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, the, the hair industry is a huge moneymaker in our culture. Yeah. You know, the beauty industry gets tied in with there. The baldness industry, you know, the medications. It's a million yeah, all things. The, hair, the money that's spent on hair loss and restoration is all money that goes down the tubes. It will not achieve anything. And, you know, the interesting thing is that hair has been pretty much left out of any discussion of body image and an appearance and all of that, any psychological or psychiatric explanation, we never, ever talk about hair. So that's another reason why I wanted to write the book. The only like heavy person in the fields of mental health who ever really has written about hair is Carl Jung. He was a disciple of Freud and you know Freud thought everything was about sexual tensions and all of that. And Jung separated himself from that and he felt that the things that we needed to understand were the unconscious meanings of everything, the unconscious meanings of everyday life. He would study normal things. 
And so he did talk a lot about hair, as a matter of fact. And he wrote about hair being a sign of what's happening inside our heads. So messy hair means we're confused or mixed up. Knotted hair means uncertainty, what we're not thinking about. Uncombed hair means we need to straighten out. Matted hair suggests unbalanced thoughts. And hair falling out suggests feeling drained or empty. So he talked a lot about decisions about hair reflecting our inner and outer experiences. But the real clincher with this discussion of Jung was that he wrote that so many patients told him that they dreamt about him cutting their hair, that his image of a therapist was a barber. It was kind of like the, that's wow. the best image for a, barber, <laughs> for, for a therapist is to think that you're a barber. You are working on the person's hair. You're really working inside that hair and inside the head. But I just find that so fascinating and interesting. And of course, Jung did a lot of other work on identifying different cultures for whom hair had much spiritual meaning. In fact, in the past, Native American cultures and other cultures, when people got their hair cut, it all had to be gathered up. You couldn't leave any hair on the floor anywhere because the thought was that a witch or another kind of negative spirit might come and get the hair and then cast a spell on you. So there were lots of things about hair that were very, very spiritual and important and you couldn't mess with it. Yeah, well, hair, if you go all the way back to Samson, hair is power. Absolutely. If you cut your hair off, you don't have the power anymore. And while you're talking, I just think about all the different ways that this really goes out. And again, you know, I was a hairdresser for many years and I had clients who would come in, they just found out they had breast cancer and some of the treatment would make their hair fall out. And so many of them would come in and say, I'm going to take control of this situation. I want you to shave my head. And so we do a whole ritual about that, that yes, you are saying, I'm not going to just wait around for my hair to fall out. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look this way now. It was very interesting when that first started to happen, you know, because it seemed like, I don't know, in the 80s, so many people here in Marin County started to have breast cancer or maybe it was found earlier, whatever happened. But we'd do a whole big thing about that and I'd give them their hair and they'd bury it in the backyard or whatever, you know, and... I don't know, it was very interesting that all the things that we put on hair. And you think about even Salvador Dali would use his mustache really high up. And he said, well, it's so that I can talk to the heavens. <laughs> well, our hair is on the top of our head. That's our crown chakra. And there were ancient cultures that believed that hair had special power because it was the thing that was closest to God, if you will. Yeah, and I noticed, again, I watched the Oscars and how not only the gowns and the shoes and the what they look like and how much surgery somebody has had, but the hair is a very big deal. <laughs> it is a very big deal. And I read a couple of years ago from a, kind of a stylist to the stars that probably 90% of the hair that you see on those shows is if you will, fake hair. <laughs> That's exactly right. Everybody has a, what do they call them? Oh, God. Weave or a hair piece. Yeah. Or... Everyone has extensions or a hair piece or an actual wig. Like you and I remember Cher. She had a whole bunch. Yes. What did her hair look like? <laughs> <laughs> right. You never really kind of knew. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the case today very much. Most of the 
stars that we see all the time, we're not seeing their actual hair, just like we're not seeing their actual skin or their actual nose. <laughs> That's right. Or their actual body, because so many of them have starved themselves for that night, or they have a Spanx on or whatever they have on. So what are you finding as you wrote this book and you're traveling, I would assume you're traveling around, whether online or in reality, what are you finding out about this subject here? When I have been telling people the last 10 years or so that I'm writing a book about hair, people see me as kind of a serious person. I've written, this is my eighth book. So I've written seven other books. They're very serious about eating disorders. A couple of them are textbooks. A couple of them are more for the public and professionals, but they're serious books about a serious subject. And so when I tell people I'm writing about hair, they kind of look at me and they shake their head a little bit. And then all of a sudden they say, a book about hair, really? And then all of a sudden, they're telling me their hair story. Yes. So what I have found out yes. is that every single person has a hair story. Even when I was telling you about my stuff with my hair, like when I was writing the book early on, I thought, well, geez, I'm writing about all these other people. Everybody has hair stories. I don't really have a hair story. But then I really do have a whole bunch of hair stories. You along certainly the do. Like, I'm finding people make all kinds of connections once they start thinking about it did my first big presentation about the book at the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. It was about a month ago in Palm Springs. And a bunch of women who attended who are very versed in the field and versed in body image and their own self-reflections and all that talked about ideas that they'd never had before about themselves and their hair and what it means, as well as what hair means to the people that we are helping all the time. So it's a really rich and deep subject. And that's the bottom line. Hair really matters. Now, what we're not talking about so much today is hair for people of color. It's a whole other issue. And I want to just say that in the United States, we have 50 states. In 30 of those 50 states, it is legal, legal to discriminate against them based on how they wear their hair. So if, they, if a man or a woman has braids or weaves or, or where is it natural? Afro, right. Mm -hmm. Yes. In 30 of the 50 states, it is legal to discriminate against them, not hire them, fire them, whatever you want to do. Wow. So that's a whole other subject that we need to also be paying attention to. There has been in the past about five years impetus for legislation about that. So in 20 of the states, they have passed the CROWN Act. CROWN stands for Create a Respectful and Open Workplace for Natural Hair. That's what it stands for. And so 20 states have passed that, and there has been federal legislation that passed the House last year, but did not get through the Senate at the federal level. But the impetus is to try to get federal legislation so that, there, that it will be impossible to discriminate against people based on their hair. So that's another piece of this really important pie that, you know, we can talk about hair as a fun thing or a way to express yourself or whatever. But if you're a Black person and you're expressing your, yourself through your hair, you better be really careful. And there have been lots of lawsuits, et cetera. But we really have to fight the fight. For those who are listening to the podcast, I hope you will go to thecrownact.com and look at the material about it and try to get your local legislators to get it through your state. In Connecticut, we already passed it. But also let your federal legislators know, your House representative and your senator know that you want this to be looked at. That hair is a basic human right. Like it's really important. Equal rights includes how we look. Yeah. And I guess, didn't uh, Chris Rock have a movie out a few years ago called Good Hair? And what does that mean? 
because he was talking about his daughter, I guess, one day. Yeah, he had a three-year-old daughter who started talking about good hair, wanting good hair. And so that introduced him to the whole subject of what was good hair. He did a lot of great research. He came out with this movie that was really helpful. That was why last year at the Oscars when he slapped Will Smith. Now um, Will Smith slapped him. Sorry, Will Smith slapped him. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, got it wrong. After Chris had said something derogatory about Jadis because she has alopecia, she's lost all her hair. And he made a really derogatory, teasing, nasty comment. So Will Smith got up and slapped him, which wasn't the best thing to do. But I was just shocked that Chris Rock, who had really brought into consciousness the issue of good hair, could also make a comment like that issue. But anyway, the discussion at the time was all about the two guys, when in fact, the discussion really should be about that woman who has alopecia, who people are mocking, and the tremendous challenges all African-American women living in cultures like ours have about their hair. Yes. However, that's how much hair means that we don't even acknowledge. Why has she got no hair? What happened to her? Does she have cancer? What happened to her? You know, whose business is it of ours? We don't think a thing about it that last night at the Oscars, two or three of the different men got up and had no hair. No hair, yes. (laughs) What's wrong with them? (laughs) Yeah, we don't even think that way. Yeah, it's so, I don't know, it's such a double standard and yet it's, that can also still be the same standard. Yeah. Yeah. I just love this whole conversation we're having and I just hope to continue at a different time. I'm wondering if you can read the back of the card, the Today I Will. Today, I will practice reminding myself that my spiritual self is who I really am. When I find myself obsessing about my food or weight, I will take a deep breath, be still, and listen to my deepest yearnings and guidance. Oh, sweet. So I'm wondering if you could just say the name of your book. So the book is Hair Tells a Story. Hers, yours, and ours. And it's available anywhere. So you can order it from where you order everything from yeah. or from any place else. Yeah. And you can your also favorite bookstore. Local, local bookstore. <laughs> yeah. I would prefer that you go to your local bookstore and support a small business. But it's just so easy to press those buttons and have it happen quickly. And I'm hoping that it will open up some subjects for people. And you may find yourself also thinking about the spirituality of your hair. What does your hair really mean? What's on top of your head? What is on top of your head is often in your head. Yes, I love that. I love that. You know, I think about myself. I have had every kind of hairdo you can think of in the years, but I feel most comfortable with long hair. And I think that it's because I'm a Leo, And I have to have my mane. I don't know if that's true, but that's what comes up for me, that I don't feel right unless I have this giant, big old, unkept, giant hair (laughs) around my face. (laughs) But I'm also a product of my culture, so I'll also try to do different things too. So thank you so, so much for bringing this to our attention. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.